I was first introduced to Vitalik as the founder of Ethereum, and over the course of a few years, I've gotten to know that there is so much more to him. Welcome to the B-sides of my conversation with Vitalik. The outtakes, the behind the scenes, the weirder stuff, where we get to know Vitalik even more. We talk about longevity, the value proposition of the moon versus Mars, how San Francisco should be just as big as Hong Kong, and why dark chocolate is better than white chocolate. I'm Morgan Beller, and this is the NFX Podcast. I know that longevity is one of your growing interests. So for those of us who want to learn more, wish we knew more, or if you were having dinner with your friend's parents and you wanted to leave them with one thing about longevity and anti-aging that they probably don't know about, what's that one thing? So I, I, I still recommend um, Aubrey Gray's book, um, Ending Aging. It was uh, written in, I think, 2007. Um, and that was the book that kind of originally indoctrinated me into life extensionism. Um, and uh, that's um, like I, uh, when I talked to Aubrey more recently, like he basically he still recommended that book to me. I think even as uh, um, recently as like two or three years ago, and he basically said that you know yes, these still basically are the seven categories of uh, aging that are like, by far the most the most significant. So that's uh, a good primer if you want to kind of somewhat understands the basic concepts. And, and then I'm sure you can just like follow the organizations and follow, and, uh, follow their websites and kind of some of the more recent articles that they're pushing out. There's also a subreddit, um, reddit.com slash r slash longevity. Uh, so that's one that I follow and go to from time to time. Is there any longevity challenge trial that has recently been published or that you've read about that you wish you could participate in? I think right now things are still like uh, five years too early to be uh, like doing ex- really serious stuff. Um, so, like, there's uh, a list of uh, of things that pe- that longevity people think have small effects, and uh, people are kind of debating back and forth and having studies back and forth about. Um, so, uh, as- Ashwagandha is one of those examples. Midformin is one example. And then there's this kind of longer list uh, that, that goes on. Um, what else was there? There was some, there were some interesting recent results around uh, kind of parabiosis. Um, so this was this idea that kind of got reported on a few times because it just plays so perfectly into the kind of evil Silicon Valley like vampire stereotypes. The idea a few years ago was basically that if you had a take an older person or this works with animals too um, and you basically just kind of connect their bloodstream to the younger person then the uh, older person would be kind of you know quote rejuvenated with the uh, kind of younger person's blood to some extent um, and like there were some experiment uh, some experiments on this there are some like kind of results and it was somewhat inconclusive but of course you know it really captured the imagination just like you know, because of the bloody optics of the thing. But then there was this interesting study from a year ago that I think, or somewhere close to a year ago that kind of really changed the narrative on this. Um, Basically, it turns out that you don't need um, like young blood for this. Like it turns out that if you just replace a part of a person's blood with, I think it was uh, like water and with like saline and albumin and like, like basically just like water with a couple of other dumb things then you can uh, 
you can have basically all the same positive effects, right? So it turns out that the gains from that procedure don't come from like younger people having uh, good ingredients. They come from older people having damaged ingredients. And if you can flush those damaged ingredients out, then you can potentially uh, make basic reduce the, the level of damage in a person's body. Uh, so that was interesting. Like once again, this is the sort of thing that's still significantly too early to be like really doing, but it's the sort of thing that, you know, would, is definitely worth uh, kind of doing more research and looking into more. And, but you no, know, there are communities that are starting to do more research and, and to look into this sort of stuff more. Uh, so, and then at the same time, there's also more radical therapies. Like there's people trying to come up with the drugs that target very explicit categories of damage, uh, trying to deal with uh, senescent cells, which are basically just essentially cells that turn into zombies and start screwing around and doing bad stuff in your body. Um, there's uh, drugs that go after just like various kinds of kind of protein related uh, damage. And so far, it's still kind of in early stages, but it's kind of all slowly progressing. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting things happening. And, and I definitely encourage people to kind of look into it and follow along this space. It's, it, there's definitely a fine line between waiting has a cost and too early, especially when it has to do with things you're putting inside human bodies. So We'll see if anyone cracks cracks the code there. Longevity, we could talk about that for hours. The fact that you're not worried about it and the second order social and cultural effects is encouraging. What there has to be something that worries you about longevity. What is the risk, if anything? Socially, culturally, biologically, economically. I think the the things that worry me are probably around like human enhancement in ways other than longevity well hmm like just some people being much stronger and much smarter than others is uh definitely one risk um the and just like the least kind of making sure that the uh, enhancements that we end up creating actually are kind of available to everyone but then even if available to everyone and like different people may well end up choosing different um, enhancements. And so we may end up having kind of more differences between each other a century from now uh, than we do today. And you know, that might like, that could be a source of, could also be a, a source of like really uh, interesting new ways for us to complement each other. Uh, so like that definitely worries me a, a bit more than um, longevity itself does. So one thing I'm not worried about is like, there's no such thing as um, a gene for uh, obedience to the Communist Party. Now, there might be genes that correlate with obedience in general, but if you give someone that gene, then there's no way to be sure that they're going to be more obedient to you instead of uh, being more obedient to uh, the first cult uh, that reaches out to them on the internet, whose goal may well be to overthrow you. What is illegal? either should be legal and or will become legal just because laws of physics, it's silly over the next, let's say, five to 20 years. One big category that I think we already talked about is just uh, participating in experiments at some um, earlier stages of uh, a product's life cycle, whether that um, is uh, like whether that's medical or whether that's drones or whether that's like, self-driving cars or whatever else. I yeah, like I definitely hope to see a kind of more movement in the trend of like people who 
wants to try things early, being having um, having ways to try things early, and I definitely expect, um, as I mentioned, the end of COVID to give a nice push in that direction. Um, what other things? Oh, um, here's a um, a fun one. Um, uh, it looks like it's becoming more and more um, legal to build like actually reasonable amounts of housing in California. And it looks like the uh, the it, it looks like the YIMBY movements are uh, finally making some progress. And I saw whether there's like parking minimums got struck down in a lot of places, and there's more and more movements toward upzonings. Really, San Francisco should be as big as Hong Kong, right? Like San Francisco should have a population of uh, you know seven million people, and should have the skyscrapers and all of that. But like instead, it's like barely one million. Um, and you know, it does feel like the uh, like San Francisco and California politics essentially kind of suicided to some extent by uh, just giving in to existing residents' uh, demands to just not building any, uh, not building anything else. And uh, it feels like you know the political winds uh, behind uh, those original uh, kind of pressures are finally crumbling, uh, at least to some extent. And that's something I'm happy with. I mean, it'll lead to lower rents for people. It'll lead to more people being able to live where they want to live. Do you think San Francisco hmm. is dead? I definitely think that San Francisco is never again going to be a, a, like considered a necessary place for anyone to be the way that it was up until around uh, 2015 uh, or so. I expect it to continue to have a, a strong community, uh, uh, tech community with a, a lot of people there. But like, I would not be surprised to if... Uh, 30 years from now, San Francisco is widely viewed as a kind of establishment boomer town. Like basically, well, I guess the the millennials would be the new boomers by then, but you know, you know what I mean, right? Like yeah, just like, you know, you have your Apple and your Facebook and all of these kind of uh, old world companies that just have to be based there because they have too many capital investments and uh, all, all the cool stuff is uh, happening in uh, the next Silicon Valley, which uh, is, well, the set of um, interesting and innovative small countries is, I think, one uh, kind of very uh, powerful candidate for that. And then just generally, it'll be much more distributed. One of my favorite moments of last year, pre-pandemic, was we were in Israel together. And I feel very lucky that we not only had the opportunity to visit Palestine last year, but we had the opportunity to visit Palestine together. And for me, this was a really eye-opening experience, having visited Israel several, several times, but never crossing the border. So for you, I know you've, you work with a lot of Israelis, you had been to Israel before, you had never been to Palestine before either. How did visiting the other side of the wall change your views on Israel at all, if at all? I don't know, like that, that definitely seems like a uh, very far from optimal situation on so many levels, right? Like it's just, uh, like even, um, you know, if you just notice um, the fact that like falafels cost 15 shekels on the Israeli side of the border and uh, five to 10 shekels on the other side of the border, like, you know, you just know um, which which side of the, which side of that whole situation is um, a better of a, a better place uh, to, to be at the moment and to just like which side has uh, kind of just like more unfairness uh, stacked against it. Um, so um, also... The, the the way that the uh, wall 
um, says exit when you go from Israel into Palestine, but like doesn't say exit when you go from Palestine into Israel. Like that was, uh, <laughs> I found that strange. Uh, and maybe, maybe symbolic of something. So many signs um, that there's like something strange and wrong. And like, you, you know, you know, which, which uh, direction the wrongness is going. So let's do some rapid fire questions. Some this or that questions to end on something quick and fun and see where this goes. Deep ocean or space? Mm, space. Though Antarctica is also underrated. White or dark chocolate? Dark chocolate. I uh, I usually prefer 90%. So lately I've been getting uh, more comfortable with some of the Robin Hood? just too. So Vitalik tracks every percentage of dark chocolate that he has ever tried? Mm, yeah. So I have this long-term dream of eventually trying every integer from uh, 80 to 100. Um, and so far, I've had, let's see if I remember, I've had 80, 83, I think 85, 86, 88, um, 90, 92, 95, 99, and 100. I believe those are the ones that I've tried. So it's still about uh, about 10 integers that I need to go through at some point. We have to find those. We have to find those other ones and we'll find a way to send them to you. This one, I know you've got Blue Origin or SpaceX. SpaceX has been doing amazing work. I, um, Blue Origin, I think like the problem is they haven't really released as much, so it's just uh, harder to judge them uh, so far. But uh, I hope they do great things, and maybe with uh, um, Bezos uh, finally uh, getting out of Amazon, he might end up uh, focusing on space and uh, doing some great things there, but we'll see. Mars or the moon? I feel like Mars and the moon have somewhat different value propositions. Like uh, the moon is interesting because like, first of all, it's pretty close to the earth. Uh, so if you have a conversation with someone on the moon, like the, the, the round trip latency as we've established is only about 2.3 seconds. So it's not going to be worse than uh, this conversation. Uh, but um, you know, I mean, Mars on the other hand, like, you know, it's somewhere between like something like five to 15 minutes away. I forget the exact number. Uh, so with uh, Mars, you have a much more um, asynchronous experience uh, interacting with uh, humanities mainland. Um, so that's one difference. And I think like it definitely makes the moon more convenient. Um, the, uh, um, the other interesting thing about the moon is like the low gravity is interesting. I was just like really looking forward to uh, running a marathon in one sixth gravity. Like I just want to feel what it's like, you know? Uh, so over ask Mars, like so goes up to something like 40% of the earth or whatever. So it's like interesting too, but less extreme. Um, Mars, the fact that it's further away is also a like, uh, interesting value proposition. Like, uh, you know, Mar like the, the sci-fi trope of Mars declaring independence is uh, much more realistic than the, sci than, uh, the moon declaring independence. Well, okay, I guess uh, the, there was one Robert Heinlein novel about that, but, you know, there's just way more. Uh, sci-fi novels about Mars becoming its, becoming its own thing. So uh, by uh, sci-fi narrative evidence, like it, that's just more likely. Um, in terms of like what you can do in both places, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it ends up uh, depending on like uh, just what people want out of space travel. You know, do they just want a different experience? Do they want to... Uh, be in a place uh, like kind of disconnected from earthly concerns? Uh, uh, do they have some kind of industrial mining need? Is it something else entirely? I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. This uh, this isn't a 
this or that question, but since clearly I have space on my mind and a lot of my questions are space related, what's something that you think will happen in space that seems so sci-fi today? So like, I personally believe a lot of the next trillion dollar industries will happen on space, space farming, space manufacturing, space drug development. You could think I'm crazy, which is fine. Or you can agree with me and say something that you think will be outsourced to space at some point in the next, let's say, 100 years. That seems crazy today. The one really boring example is using space as a method for points of travel from uh, Earth to Earth. I mean, are going to go up and just be um, like much faster than an airplane can be? Um, like the energy expenditures are pretty comparable and so forth. So, no, that'll be interesting. Like, I'm, I'm definitely excited about, um, you know, San Francisco to Singapore in 55 minutes uh, or whatever the number ends up being. Um, aside from that, um, hmm, I definitely want space to be kind of a combination of, um, you know, mainly a tourist uh, thing for, um, um, together with some industries happening and just stuff being built in zero gravity. I'm not sure exactly what kinds of things that make sense to be built in zero gravity. I'm just like not that much of an expert on those topics. Um, but, but, but be interesting things. San Francisco or Miami or Austin, because those are that's those are the places where people seem to be being sucked out of here too. Uh, there's also the quieter options, um, like uh, Denver is one. Um, the uh, Ethereum uh, Foundation has been quietly um, setting up a base that has more and more people in Denver. Denver's kind of cool, and I uh, I met the governor, um, uh, Jared Polis. Uh, he was uh, willing to read a uh, crypto-themed children's book with me on stage, which I thought was. Uh, really nice and amazing. And if follow him on Twitter, he just seems like a yeah, lovely, pragmatic chap. That's, uh, um, and then the Colorado is right beside Wyoming and Wyoming has all of that crypto-friendly regulation. Uh, hmm. So I think like that's definitely one of, that's like the pool that, you know, neither the old guard nor the uh, self-styled leaders of the new, of the new guard uh, talk about that much. Um, but it, it, I know it's, it, it was lovely. Um, the, the aspect of being 1,600 meters above ground is interesting. I need to like properly try doing a run there. We'll see how that goes. Um, and then uh, what else? Miami. As, uh, I've been to Miami a few times. It seems interesting, though I don't understand it well enough. Um, so I definitely want to try to understand Miami more. The um, other interesting thing about Miami is that Miami is like a, a de facto gateway to Central America. Right, like all the flights going from random U.S. and Canadian cities to like far, you know, Central and South America places, unless they're direct, they tend the hub. And uh, you know, you have uh, a lot of Cuban immigrants uh, going to Florida, a lot of other Latin Americans uh, in uh, Florida. Uh, so, I, I definitely think that like Latin America as a region is a region that. Uh, the U.S. is going to start kind of learning to care more about. Uh, I mean, I know, like it may just it may just like take um, China trying to like put up a couple of Belt and Road projects or whatever or or whatever they call them in a couple of South American countries, and then U.S. people will kind of get scared and uh, realize that they uh, need to compete somehow, or it could just happen on its own. I don't know, but you know, generally, like it feels like. Latin America does feel like one of these uh, kind of slightly forgotten places that uh, 
probably the U the U.S. might needs to uh, do more interfacing with. Um, and I say this as someone who uh, has done far less uh, kind of Latin American than I wanted to. Like, uh, unfortunately, South America, South America in particular is still the one continent I've uh, never been to yet. Though that's going to change with uh, the next DEFCON um, in uh, Colombia when it happens. So this is uh, another one of those uh, kind of we'll see uh, kind of situations. But like basically, if um, U.S.-Latin America relations go well, then uh, Miami will be very well poised to uh, benefit from that. I, I agree. We should all start learning Spanish. What? Oh, how many languages do you speak? This is complicated because it depends how I need to speak them. Like uh, we're speaking English. I can speak Russian well. I can speak Chinese reasonably well. Um, French and German, I can kind of understand decently, but um, I don't really have enough practice uh, speaking either of them. Um, Spanish, I kind of know a little bit of, um, but, and I can, you know, kind of uh, make my way through some blog articles, but I definitely want to uh, really improve it. Aside, aside from that, not too much. Uh, I mean, I did study Latin and ancient Greek in high school, but I, uh, I regrettably do not remember too much of either. That's uh, something else I'll also never forget is being in Bethlehem with you, and we're all, you know, taking selfies, and you're translating the Latin on the side of the church. <laughs> hey, it's, it was like my one opportunity to read Latin in like five years. Vitalik. You make me laugh, you make me smile, you expand my brain. Thank you. This has been so fun. Thank you, Morgan. This has been fun. You've been listening to the NFX Podcast. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe to the NFX Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For more information on building iconic technology companies, visit nfx.com.